Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And you can find out more by visiting the very robust website, Johnson's Air Conditioning. Dot com. They do a terrific job. Also, Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. To find out more, visit lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today for, for today's show, including Bob Levy. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. We've been talking about executive powers, continuing our conversation, especially when it comes to uh, treaty powers for the president. We also visit with Andrew Joppa professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, author of several books, his latest How Everything Happened, including us. Uh, He also has his column in Newsmax. It's called On Point. It is November the 25th, and on this day in 1783, nearly three months after the Treaty of Paris was signed, ending the American Revolution, the last British soldiers withdrew from New York City the last British military position in the United States. After the last redcoat departed from New York, U.S. General George Washington entered the city in triumph to the cheers of New Yorkers. The city had remained in British hands since its capture in September 1776. Now think about that. Three months after the treaty, here we still have the British soldiers. Time has moved so slowly. Now it moves so quickly. Things don't wait that long to get uh, completed. Four months after the New York was returned to victorious patriots, the city was declared to be the capital of the United States. In 1789, the site was moved to Washington's inauguration as the first U.S. president, remained the nation's capital until 1790, when Philadelphia became the second capital of the United States. Now, New Yorkers shaped the history of two new nations. This is so interesting. When British evacuated the New York Loyalists, uh, they you know, pretty much had to give up their property, everything they had in the New World and uh, in the United States. So uh, where were they going to go? Well, many of them went off to western Quebec and Nova Scotia. Their arrival in Canada permanently shifted the demographics of what had been French-speaking New France until 1763, when an English-speaking-only colony and later nation, with the exception of French-speaking and a culturally French area in eastern Canada that is now Quebec. Isn't that interesting? Now, they were going to settle in New Brunswick. That didn't uh, really sit well with them in Nova Scotia, so they ended up setting, uh, settling in uh, the area of what is now Quebec, west and an area west of Quebec in uh, 1867. So again, English-speaking, why is it? Why is uh, Canada, for the large part, English-speaking? Well, because the uh, soldiers ended up leaving New York and going to uh, Canada. Interesting story. The Florida Department of Health reported 148 new cases and three additional deaths in Cuyahoga County on Tuesday. All these, I'm not sure we could call any of these deaths premature, but nevertheless, they're listed as COVID-19 related. So far uh, in November, Cuyahoga County residents have uh, counted uh, 23 COVID related deaths. Not all of these people, of course, died in November. However, the their cause of death being related to COVID-19 was recorded by the Department of Health in November. Very suspicious to me. Anyhow, Tuesday, there was a 76 COVID patients in Cuyahoga County hospitals. Uh, that's one fewer patient than was reported approximately the same time Monday. 
The county also has lots of beds available. So again, the thing we're supposed to be focusing on is flattening the curve, making sure the healthcare system is not overwhelmed. It certainly isn't. But where's all the attention? It's on new cases. All the hysteria is created around new cases. Don't travel. Don't have your family over for Thanksgiving. COVID, COVID. (laughs) It's uh, way out of proportion, in my opinion. Well, a new study conducted by Virginia's largest school system found that distance learning due to COVID-19 panic is severely damaging academic uh, performance. In comparison to the uh, last academic year, the percentage of middle school and high school students enrolled in Fairfax County schools received marks of F in two or more classes during the first quarter of this academic year. Uh, That number rose from 6% to 11%. And this goes on. I'm not going to go through the entire uh, column here, but I think it just makes sense. Um, A lot of students, uh, it's just like life. Many people are self-starters. They go and do their work. They take care of things and don't necessarily need the intervention of somebody to supervise their activities. There's many students, I would suggest, that actually need to have an authority looking over their shoulder, encouraging them, encouraging and, and pushing them to, to learn. Otherwise, they're just not going to get the work done. That's just how it works. In my view, 10% of the people make things happen, 20% watch what happens, and the other 70% are trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> they wonder what happened. So, again, uh, we're so fortunate here in Collier County that we have bricks and mortar schools in Florida, in fact. It was mandated by the Commission of Education. And so uh, more and more students are going back to brick-and-mortar school. This is a good thing. And I would suggest the ones that are staying whole home probably have more supervision at home, number one, and probably, two might be better or more self-starters. So there may be some self-selection going on here. In any event, uh, distance learning just doesn't work for a lot of kids. So White House correspondent John Curl of ABC, you may remember uh, President Trump called him a.k.a. Cutie Pie, had just been caught red-handed on camera removing his mask in the White House briefing room when he thought the cameras were off. And uh, this is significant. He's the head of the White House uh, Trump uh, press corps. He's the main guy in any event. So this just demonstrates to me the hypocrisy of the mainstream media uh, you know, simply performing, posturing and preening for the public, making sure they're wearing their masks when, when the uh, cameras are on, and of course, and they're not paying attention to it when they're off. We've seen it so many times. Uh, Carl at the time went as far as to post a picture of maskless Roberts. Roberts claimed he was more than six feet away from the closest person at the time, which allowed, uh, under the rules, since it was an outdoor gathering, anyhow, uh, so apparently Carl has been responsible for reporting the masklessness of other folks when he himself is posturing and printing for the cameras and not because of his health or the health of those around us. So if someone told you that the Dow Jones Industrial Average would uh, top 30,000 in November and back in, let's say, in March, what would you have thought? Probably you thought that this will never happen. We're going to see the market could just crash. While while the market continued setting records practically uninterrupted during the Trump presidency, a black swan in the form of coronavirus would ravage the global markets this year. By mid-March, the market had sold off in response to the panic from coronavirus and economic damage from the subsequent lockdowns to the point where they wiped out 100% of the gains accrued during the Trump's presidency. But they soon hit an inflection point and rocketed higher, fueled by loose monetary policy. Let me underscore that. Loose monetary policy. I mean, the Fed has pumped so much money 
into the economy, never mind what the uh, this administration and Congress has done. And it's been massive fiscal stimulus alongside the eventual removal of some restrictions. The Dow, uh, Dow peaked just above 29500 before the pandemic slapped the economic fo- economy across the face. And now less than a year later, it's crossed over 30000 for the first time ever. Uh, Mark was way up yesterday. Did not top it. It was just below 30000 but the uh, futures are down. Well, just a peanut, just 36 right now as, as we're speaking. So we may have a positive day today as well. But this is all fueled by monetary policy. Uh, the market is pretty much the only place that in real estate, uh, your own home, we're seeing real estate prices go up uh, tremendously as well. Again, who's getting punished by all this? Well, it's the uh, blue-collar worker, frankly. It's uh, uh, sad, actually. But nevertheless, for those of us that are depending on our 401ks, it's all good news. Well, Politico conduct, uh, conducted its 2020 voter priority survey, and results show that a vast majority of Trump voters believe the election results are not valid and that illegal voting and fraud took place during the election. 21% of Trump voters believe the results are valid and 79% believe the election was stolen. So you, uh, I think what this fuels, quite frankly, is the, uh, uh, the resolve of Trump supporters when it comes to seeing this uh, challenge, this legal challenge, seeing it through to the end. And uh, so we saw what happened with us, hundreds of thousands of people showing up in Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we're seeing a lot of support in right now in, uh, uh, I want to say Georgia. That's how it was <laughs> slipped my mind. But in Georgia, a lot of support going on as well uh, for President Trump. By the way, today is, of course, the day that uh, Sidney Powell is supposed to fa- file her case uh, in Georgia. This is supposed to be, uh, again, uh, the Kraken. We'll see what happens today. I'm certainly anticipating some good things. In any event, uh, people are still pre- supporting the president. In fact, this uh, uh, voter fraud is not resolved. The people are supporting Trump as the frontrunner candidate in 2024. President Trump has also reportedly told people to in close circle that he plans to pardon his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, before leaving out office, and he certainly should. Even if it's four years from now, the president served as a senior advisor to Trump during the 2016 presidential campaign. And, of course, you know the story about him uh, being uh, framed by Comey and others in the FBI. What a shame. Too bad. Anyhow, uh, this Emmett, uh, the uh, judge, Emmett Sullivan, ruled on the matter to be placed on hold. He's uh, still in hold. He should be. Uh, everybody, the Justice Department has dismissed the case, but uh, Emmett Sullivan is, by some unimaginable reason, is is retaining him and not uh, releasing him from the case. So Flynn's on hold. That's muzzling him. It keeps him from speaking out about certain issues, and and that's a shame. By the way, I don't think that's going to happen. I still believe Trump is going to win this election. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. Coming up, Bob Levy. He is the chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show 
here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And now we're going to be breaking ground on a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author. He's written a couple of books. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Well, that sounds like something we can all support. Cato.org. Cato. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G is the website. So, Bob, we started our conversation about executive power a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, of course, the president has a lot of—he's the commander-in-chief, and he has a lot of power when it comes to foreign affairs. Let's focus on treaty power. Uh, tell us about the recent treaty power case, Bond v. United States. Well, you know, the Iranian nuclear deal was uh, was and, and will be again front-page news, but the, the treaty power might even extend to domestic uh, policy, mm. and it can implement uh, and implicate other key constitutional uh, provisions, including federalism, division of 
power between federal and state government. Yeah. So this case, Bond versus U.S., related to both the treaty power and federalism. And the background was that Bond's husband impregnated her best friend. And um, she was understandably uh, <laughs> vexed. <laughs> so, she, so she spread the uh, Not a good idea. <laughs> right. She spread toxic chemicals on her friend's car and mailbox, causing minor burns. And that's against the law in every state. Yeah. <laughs> and ordinarily, she'd been charged and tried by the state, Pennsylvania, uh, where this occurred. Instead, she's charged under a federal statute that implements the 1993 Chemical Weapons Convention. Uh. So this was by the Obama administration. Now, it's not the administ- that the administration was especially interested in Carol Bond no. or, or really believed that she was involved in, in chemical warfare. What mattered to the president was to expand federal authority, even into state and local issues, using this uh, this treaty uh, power. And uh, so that case was an attempt to, to extend that power to cover domestic issues. So, uh, I mean, certainly that was, this is just one area where the uh, President Obama was trying to expand federal power into the area of the state. But shouldn't the case have been handled by state courts and not federal courts? Yeah, Miss um, Bond challenged her indictment. Um, she was indicted by federal courts, and she challenged it properly. So, under the Tenth Amendment, which says that the federal power, the federal government only has the powers that are enumerated, and that all of the other powers are are reserved to the states. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Bond claimed, I think correctly, that her F offense was a state crime and had nothing to do with the Chemical Weapons Treaty. But the Court of Appeals. Actually dismissed her her suit, and the reason they did so, they said, "Look, the Tenth Amendment is designed to protect states, and Bond, you're not a state, so you don't have any standing to litigate." And then it went to the Supreme Court, and in a very important opinion, the Supreme Court rejected that logic, nine to zero. Mm. Justice Kennedy wrote that the Tenth Amendment is not just about states' rights; it's about federalism, the purpose of which is to divide power between these two sovereign authorities, the state and the federal government, not just to protect the states, but to protect the liberty of all persons within the state. Mm. So Ms. Bond did have standing uh, to litigate the scope of the uh, treaty power. That was a good thing. A uh, great thing indeed. So what did the Supreme Court decide regarding the treaty power? Well, it led to this phase two of the case, and the court had to decide whether the Chemical Weapons Convention reaches some ordinary poisoning case that, you know, takes place in, in Pennsylvania. And again, the court came down nine to zero against uh, President Obama. And Chief Justice Roberts held that the, the implementing statute didn't cover Bond's conduct, which was simple assault, because states prosecute assaults unless Congress were to expressly extend the reach of the treaty to cover a state crime. So technically, Roberts didn't reach the constitutional question, and that was, suppose the statute had expressly stated that domestic poisoning was covered by the Chemical Weapons Convention. Would that have been a permissible application of the treaty power? Or put differently, can can a treaty give the president powers over and above those that are listed in the Constitution? We still don't know the answer to that question. Uh, So any attempt by the president to use a treaty to expand uh, in areas like, for example, environmental or gun control, 
no doubt will result in more litigation. Yeah, no, this is such important. Even, even if you agree with the activity or what's being done, you know, the road to hell isn't paved with good intentions, and it's just right. very important that the Supreme Court uphold the Constitution no matter uh, what the situation might be, in my view, anyhow. So, Indeed. What, what issues are raised by the Iranian nuclear deal? Well, the obvious first question is whether congressional consent was required. Obama said no. I think he was wrong about that. Yep. The framers did provide that some agreements could be entered into by the executive branch alone. So you know, if you look at the Constitution, it bars states from entering into any treaty or other agreement mm-hmm. with a foreign power. And that suggested that there were some other agreements mm-hmm. uh, that were contemplated by the framers. But these executive agreements, they, ha- they have to fall within the president's constitutionally enumerated powers. So you have to ask, does the president have the power to negotiate a unilateral agreement that specifically covers, in this instance, nuclear arms with Iran? Uh, some legal authorities believe that these nuclear negotiations come under his commander-in-chief power. I do not agree with that. The president is, as you noted, commander-in-chief of the armed forces, but he's not commander-in-chief of the entire nation. Mm-hmm. And we're not at war with Iran, and there were no troops uh, uh, to command. So he did not have, in my view, the power to negotiate that treaty. Yeah, that's so interesting. What about the president's inherent power over foreign affairs? Yeah, there are legal authorities who consider foreign affairs to be an inherent power of the executive branch. Uh, I, I agree with that. But Congress also plays a role. So <clears throat> he may have uh, inherent power, but it's not exclusive power. Uh, there's a reason that the framers required Senate consent mm-hmm. to treaties. So, you know, when the subject matter of an agreement has a vital impact on public policy, it's pretty clear that the framers, who were who deeply concerned about separation of powers and checks and balances, the framers meant for these agreements to be regarded as treaties mm-hmm. and not mere executive agreements. And if you have a nuclear pact with Iran, that obviously rises to the level of a uh, document that has to be ratified by the by the Senate. Yeah, and just think about a Biden presidency making a deal or a treaty with China. My goodness, you certainly hope that there's going to be some balance of power with that one too. So That's what? Do, right, you need Senate to ratify. So where does that leave us then? What's the scope of the treaty power? Well, it's imprecise when we really don't know. The president can enter into some agreements without the consent of Congress. Um, those agreements may be politically binding, but they're, they're not legally binding because they require uh, Senate consent to be legally binding. And the, the nuclear agreement with Iran uh, was plainly a treaty that should have been approved and was not uh, by two-thirds of the Senate. So we're probably going to go through this uh, again with yeah. the new administration. So what about the Paris Accord? Would that require uh, Senate approval? Yes, indeed. It would, it would require Senate approval, in my view. Wow. Um, and, uh, and we'll, we'll see if that transpires. Yeah, from your lips to God's ear. Again, <laughs> Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute, I just encourage you to visit the very robust website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good Thank to be with you. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andy Joppa. Andrew Joppa is a professor and author of a great read. It's called Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Gambit Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round, Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we have with us Professor Andy Joppa. Andrew Joppa is the author of Josephus of Oz. Not on topic for today's discussion, but a terrific read, Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. And before I lose track, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and all you care about. Bob. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Boy, that's tomorrow. And, uh, <laughs> yes, it is, amazingly <laughs> enough. It is. And uh, all, you know, all this talk about distance and uh, don't be with your relatives and that kind of thing. Uh, this, this whole, quite frankly, this, this whole thing seems to be a farce to me. It's way over-exaggerated. We certainly need to take care and not get this virus and be be uh, respectful of other people's health. But my goodness, this is blown out of proportion. You know, in keeping with that thought, Bob, it's uh, again a circumstance where the COVID-19 has suddenly flared up just at the moment we're involved with a discussion of, of voter fraud. It, it's been used consistently over the past eight or nine months yeah. uh, to blunt, I think, other topics. And I think this is happening again right now. Absolutely. Well, just think about the Georgia vote right now. So this is going to justify all kinds of mail-in ballots and so forth. Again, yeah. Well, it's it's just really a shame. And you know what? God forbid, should Biden actually uh, get the election in in the courts, 
we're going to be all masked up for months. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I would say if I was to be uh, totally objective and realistic about it, I, I think that uh, the final result will be Biden sitting in the Oval Office, unfortunately. Uh, uh, Is there every reason to believe that shouldn't happen? I think absolutely. Um, again, it's, I have a, as I told you off air, I have an optimism and a pessimism. My optimism is that there is abundant information to, to support any claims of fraud that the, the president and his team are making. Uh, on the other hand, he has so little field support from other Republicans. Uh, and I, he's getting some support from the courts and, and, in uh, individual states. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if public relations campaign that has been launched by the Democrats, the media campaign, uh, will somehow allow for the, ultimately, the Supreme Court to make the right decision. I, I do remain uh, marginally optimistic about that, but uh, yeah. uh, I, I keep waiting for the proof of the pudding, as they would say. Bob. Well, I believe in the, ju- uh, the uh, justice system, judicial system. I just hope that this is a big, big thing. We're talking about massive uh, fraud, especially through these machines and I mean, the proof apparently is just overwhelming. And this is the day that's supposed to, the Kraken is supposed to be released by Sidney Powell in Georgia, as I understand it. But nevertheless, it's going to require some judges to put on their big boy pants and make good decisions because this is probably the most serious and huge uh, issue that we faced maybe in our history. There's no doubt. And in many ways, uh, to not over-dramatize it, perhaps in world history, I don't think there's ever been a single election uh, in the history of the world or a moment politically in the history of the world that had such far-reaching implications, not only for the country that's affected, in this case, America, but the implications for the world. I, I think we can see that with the apparent rejection of American America first. Uh, that was uh, verbalized recently by General Mattis. I'm not sure what uh, what Jim Mattis is all about when he, as a military leader, rejects the America First concept. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that reassuring? Be, <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, that, that only emphasizes what uh, most people know very well, that military leaders are not trained to be strategists. Right. Uh, they, they are tacticians. And I think in many cases, including Mattis, they have been successful uh, tactically. Yeah. Strategically, these are not uh, 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 trained strategic thinkers, and Mattis emphasizes that. I, I would also like, as long as we're talking about personalities, mention Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan on the on the board at, at Fox right now we, uh, recently indicated that the challenge by President Trump at this election should be uh, stopped uh, to ensure the integrity of the election and democracy is sustained. Uh, just the reverse of, of what reality demands. Certainly there's a, a large group of Americans where probably we could probably say in total 100 million Americans who have serious doubts about this yeah, uh, this yeah. election. Even if we talk about it as minimalist, there is there is certainly reason to believe uh, that there was the opportunity for fraud uh, and that there is enough uh, smoke, certainly, uh, that this needs to be investigated if there is ultimately, if that is possible, to have this uh, election accepted uh, by, a, by huge numbers of Americans. So uh, Paul Ryan's comment, and those comments have been echoed by by many others, certainly the media, certainly on the left, but uh, surprisingly, so many on the on the right, the the, the rhino right, if I might. Yeah. Uh, these these people are reinforcing that there is no no validity to the challenge, and beyond the validity, there is no benefit to be gained in terms of the uh, ongoing possibility of even a remote unification for the American people. Yeah. Well, here here's the thing. I mean, you can have throw money at this. You could do anything you want to. Public relations. The fact of the matter is, the people believe the president has been 
uh, he he has. Uh, I don't want to use the word that I was thinking of, but anyhow, he certainly the fraud is an important issue in this election. It needs to be seen through legally. I mean, uh, you know, if he ends up losing, he ends up losing. But uh, he he certainly deserves his day in court. Apparently, three legislators are uh, legislatures are going to have hearings on the election. Uh, in uh, today, actually, the uh, I think in uh, Pu- Mich- public hearings, yes, yeah, yes. public hearings in Michigan, Arizona, and uh, Pennsylvania. So this process is working. Let's see it through. You know, if if we even take some of the uh, commentary made, not related directly to this presidential election, but just in general, or for example, we take the BBC's positions in terms of how do you determine whether or not there is a strong possibility of a fraudulent election. And and they set up certain criteria. For example, if there's a, a delay in announcing the results, mm-hmm. uh, if there are too many voters, too many voters, for example, in this case, would be in Minnesota, there was a 90 percent turnout in Wisconsin, an 89 percent turn, turnout. Yeah. Uh, uh, BBC says when there's a high turnout in very specific focused areas for one candidate, um, uh, when there's a large number of invalid, uh, invalidated votes. Uh, so if we're looking at this just from an objective party, and certainly uh, BBC leans to the left, they set up these criteria independently of this election. If we apply them in this election, there is certainly every reason to believe uh, that this this election had large amounts of fraud. We as yet can't determine the extent of it. Uh, as you were alluding to, the uh, the release of information on Dominion, uh, release the Kraken, as, as uh, Sidney Powell would have it. Uh, promises to be the, the, the moment of truth. And certainly uh, I'm optimistic that that will be the case. And uh, But at this point, I think we just we just have to wait and see what happens. Yeah. Before I conclude this thing, let me just return to the uh, Georgia Senate election. Yeah. Uh, the, the multiple, the, the dual elections. Um, I think what we're seeing right now with the cabinet appointments of Joe Biden is a uh, a barrier that they have right now to uh, appointing any radicals in the uh, in the Biden administration. There's nothing too dramatic happened. These are retreads being appointed. Uh, but I think what uh, the reason being is, uh, without knowing whether or not the Senate will be in Democrat or Republican hands in terms of the ultimate confirmation process, yeah. uh, they have to be a little, they have to go slow with any radical appointments. I think in addition, they don't want to uh, dirty the water in the Georgia Senate runoff by putting the radicals directly into the administration. O- although I, I I would say that the, uh, I'm losing track of her name now, but the suggested person for the um, pre- presidential press secretary is a vehement pro-Palestinian anti-Israeli. So yeah. that hasn't been confirmed yet. Uh, I am going to predict there'll be no radical confirmations until the Senate process in Georgia. Uh, is concluding. One more thought, Bob. Yeah, it just floats into my mind. Yeah. <clears throat> I, certainly, the, uh, the 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 Lapler and and Purdue elections in Georgia is is a key. But I think we have to keep in mind that I believe right now Mitt Romney is being wined and dined, and if he eventually can be wined and dined successfully, and induced caucus with the Democrats, then whether or not both Lapler and and Purdue wins will be eliminated because you'll still go back to a 50-50 tie, and that will be decided by Kamala Harris if Biden is seated. Well, that's an uplifting thought, (laughs) Andy. I'm sorry. I'm always sorry. Let's let's look at the positives. We're going to take a break right now. (laughs) We'll be back here in just a moment. Thanks so much, Andy. Okay, bye. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. 
here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity, maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. By the way, it sounds like a couple of these files are corrupted, my audio files. I got a new iMac, and uh, I'm now struggling with getting things working the way they should, so I just wanted you to know that I'll I'll get that fixed today with with any luck. Uh, We're continuing our conversation with Andy Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So, I mean, the way I see this, we the legal team is split. They never, uh, they're uh, saying that, you know, uh, Sidney Powell is not part of the Trump campaign uh, legal staff. That's headed by Giuliani, and uh, he has a terrific staff. I, the way I see this, uh, Sidney Powell is uh, off and running on the big issues around the criminality uh, and the corruption of our election process. Uh, the uh, Giuliani team, they're focused on uh, winning this election. So uh, I think hers is more of a long-term type of suit that has implications, for, certainly for the Trump uh, victory. But uh, I think the Giuliani case is all around, let's, you know, let's make sure that Trump was treated fairly and his voters treated fairly in this election. I, I think what you just said is probably the most reasonable interpretation of the separation of Powell from the, uh, the president's legal team. Um, I think by removing herself from that uh, legal entanglement, if I might, uh, she's able to go in directions without the president having to own those directions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think what we're seeing now is just as you indicated, Giuliani going with the the, actually the hands on challenge to the vote, whereas uh, Powell is moving more towards the uh, computerized large scale voter fraud, which may be uh, ultimately the, the, the dramatic winning issue that the courts cannot turn their not turn their back on. Yeah, and I'll say this too. I, th- I think also this the, another reason for separation is that I think this is going to splash on not only uh, Democrats, but it's going to splash on Republicans too. I think there are going to be criminal indictments and people are going to go go to prison as a result of this. Yeah, I, I, I sort of uh, did the tongue-in-cheek. I wrote a blog uh, calling for a polygraph examination of all the leading political figures in America, both Democrat and Republican. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think the Democrats would obviously reject it if you know, because I think there's a high degree of validity. The CIA, FBI use the uh, polygraph to uh, de- uh, determine deception, for example. 
Uh, but again, there's going to be a lot of Republicans who would not want to answer questions in that area yeah. uh, based on historical problems. And there are there are many historical issues associated with voter fraud, not only in America, but but worldwide. So those people that somehow uh, minimize the possibility of fraud have to ignore the last 100 or 200 years of world history, Bob, right. to do that. There is abundant proof that fraud has existed. Yeah, no question about it. Well, and I think also this could end up splashing on the CIA and the FBI substantially in, in many ways, because I think for for whatever reason, these people have ignored an issue that has existed for years. Well, that, they certainly did. And I, as I mentioned to you off air again, uh, if we look at the, the run up to the election, uh, the entire focus was on creating greater ease of voting. Mm-hmm. Um, the legality was almost totally ignored, and I lamented that in several essays over the past uh, yeah. past eight or nine months, actually. Right. Uh, the, the, the legality was never brought into play. Everything was on ease. For example, if we look at the elimination of voter ID in many cases, if we look at the movement towards voting by mail, if we look at the extended uh, voting period, uh, everything that was done only focused on the one priority, and that was making voting easier right. uh, for the American people. And there's something to be said for that, Bob. Yeah. But that is a second priority. It should always be the second priority. Legality should always be the number one priority. It was given absolutely no weight in right. the construct of this voting process. Obviously, it lent itself, therefore, to greater levels of fraud, of fraud potential, and I think fraud in reality, Bob. Yeah, so, I mean, we're looking now towards this Georgia election. It's so important with regard to these Senate seats, and, uh, you know, it's all coming down to Georgia. It appeals for huge amounts of money, and I'm quite certain that uh, there's hundreds, well, I'm going to say millions and millions, maybe $100 million being sent by these big tech companies to have the, the impact and influence. This is all around, you know, going from make America first to uh, making us, dumbing us down and making us a part of the global society. Well, I mean, that's, that's obviously their, their direction. America is just going to be a, a single player in the, in the globalist movement yeah. uh, as compared to being a, a separate entity. And I think we're going to see that reinforced with decisions coming out of uh, the United Nations and the Biden administration. We'll see that coming tr- out of all of the uh, world-based organizations as they impact on, on America. If we look at the creation of John Kerry as the climate uh, envoy, uh, certainly that, and I think he wants to in the, uh, elevate that position to a cabinet-level position. I think we're looking at movement backwards, in my estimation, towards things like carbon taxes and some of the more uh, uh, dramatic uh, statements of, oh. of uh, climate control. Uh, I think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see energy restrictions. I think we're going to see certainly a reduction in the use of fracking, uh, certainly on government property, at, at least that much. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're looking at a, a dramatic uh, uh, elimination of the major factors that Trump created to make America strong and make it a, a predictable nation for the for the future. Yeah. I, I think our predictable nature is is at this point diminished, if not gone. Bob. Absolutely. When just think about what's going to happen in public schools, as, as I understand it, the cabinet position for education is going to be filled by one of the leaders of the uh, teachers union. <laughs> and so what do you think is going to happen to charter schools? And, and uh, I mean, the, the process of the 1619 project and all, there's so much opportunity now because of this pandemic to improve education in so many substantial ways. A Biden administration, I think, would just cement the uh, problems of the past. 
Well, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm, I have mixed feelings always about whether kids are better served by being in school or not being in school. <laughs> it's, it's based on what are they learning? It's not just a matter of they're not learning, but the question is, what are they learning? You alluded to the 1619 project. Now there's an alternative that's being proposed and hopefully it has traction, the 1620 project. Yeah. Uh, so I'm optimistic, but certainly if we're looking at the, the starting point for any positive change for America, it must take place within our, our public schools and ultimately in our universities, both of which are uh, just probably definably uh, training grounds uh, for socialist or at least radical thought of. Uh, no question about it. And of course, attacks on, the, on the free speech. I mean, it's, it's just appalling what we're seeing in public education right now. Uh, suspending a kid because he wears a, a Trump hat and so forth. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So, I mean, we have to think good thoughts now for Sidney Powell and what she, and her efforts. She has a firm resolve. She is so smart. She does such a great job. Uh, and a lot's in her hands right now, as is, you know, the, what's going on with Giuliani and these, uh, these, uh, uh, these uh, questions to uh, states and what's happening in individual states. A lot on the line today. We can only hope the best for the next couple of weeks. I, I don't think Sidney Powell would have staked her public reputation, which is very solid over the long term. Yep. Uh, her dealing with the, the Michael Flynn situation. I don't think she would stake her total public reputation on something that was absolutely not provable. She's emphatically said, uh, I, I, her words, I think, uh, said, um, for anyone who knows me to believe I would make statements like this without absolute surety of proof uh, is, is, uh, is out of their minds, essentially. Uh, so I think uh, Sidney Powell will bring forth a, a body of information documenting computer fraud. Uh, and it's a matter of whether or not that is accepted as a as a valid consideration, ultimately, I believe, by the Supreme Court. Uh, well, Andy, you know, this is just such an interesting time right now. There's a lot on the line, and we can just only hope that justice prevails. That's all I'm asking, just justice prevail. I mean, if, if perhaps uh, by any matter of means our, my concerns are uh, being amplified way out of proportion, I would certainly accept that. I just but I want to make sure we get our day in court. If America had shown me over the last four years where justice generally prevails, I'd be very optimistic about what you just said. I, I just haven't uh, generally seen the traction of justice in our in our system. Uh, for example, if we just look at the, the Durham report or the non-existent Durham report, you know, many thought that he would not release his report prior to the election, not wanting to uh, unbalance the election results, which in itself is political to do that. Yep. But they anticipated that post the election, that Durham's report would come out. But now we are three weeks past that election and still nothing from Durham. And I, I'm going to have to predict that there is not going to be a final Durham report that will include indictments of the people who perpetrated the uh, the Trump campaign uh, intrusions. Yeah, well, this just underscores us how much is on the line in the next week. Andy, I really look forward to talking to you next week. I think we'll have a lot to talk about. Thank you so much for joining us. And one more time, happy Thanksgiving. Buddy. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, Andy. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with the Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. And he's also uh, author of several books, his latest, How Everything Happened, including us, going back 13 billion years up to today. Such a fascinating read. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine prior to knee surgery and you can too call the institute for orthopedic surgery and sports medicine they will thoroughly evaluate your condition provide personalized state-of-the-art treatment and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle at the institute for orthopedic surgery and sports medicine your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery for an initial consultation call the institute for orthopedic surgery and sports medicine located off tamiami trail in bonita springs at 482-5399 that's 482-5399 You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We've got with us uh, Professor Larry Bell. As I mentioned before the break, he is a... uh, Endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architecture, big player, had a lot to do with our space program back in the day. He's also now an author. He's written several books. His latest is How Everything Happened, Including Us. He's also written an interesting book on cyber warfare, which is so interesting, uh, so relevant uh, today. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor, and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Uh, Any thoughts about the holiday? Well, what a holiday, I guess. Uh, I was I got an article coming up this morning, and it's kind of playing back to say, you know, if if we had imagined last year at this time and projected forward, can we imagine what has happened this year with, you know, this last Thanksgiving where uh, you can't hug Uncle Fred anymore, and you know, you have you know you have a quarter of how many people you can invite to your home, you know, and whether you can pass the food and and so on, and and you know, and the and I think for a lot of people, the confusion, despair regarding the election and, and you know, the COVID influence on that and so on. So we kind of have to, I think, sit back maybe and dig back and look and say, well, we do have a lot to be thankful for. I think countries are very fearful of, of the future in many regards, but at the same time, the, you know, the, the great hope with the new vaccines and the market seems to be soaring now today and in spite of everything. So it's, it's a confusing time, and we got to remember to uh, maybe maybe take a deep breath uh, and, uh, and begin to look at the positives and try to look at reuniting as a country. 
Yeah, you know, and also, Professor, well, this, no doubt, this uh, China virus is severe, but we've actually, we've got all these statistics. A long time ago, several months ago, we had a self-administered swab to find out if we have the coronavirus, and the FDA wouldn't approve it because the CDC wants to have all these numbers public so they can publish them, just part of this whole process. It makes me wonder, I mean, all these deaths compared to what? There's people dying from cancer, there's people from dying from so many different things. Yeah, but what are we focused on? This, this, which I, you know, ninety-nine percent of the people are not going to die as a result of getting this thing. Well, we're very distrustful, I think, of mm-hmm. many things. For example, when when the COVID be- began, you know, it was a new virus; nobody understood uh, what its lethality was, and even whether it was spread. You know, you know, is it aerosol or so many things, and so. I think perhaps prudently, but also out of you know you know great caution, uh, you know the the, the uh, responses were very extreme, of course, and and there was a question of whether the you know shutdowns would work and whether masks made any sense and so on. Mm-hmm. And so we said, or I think there was this this big uh, search for the experts who can you know, who's wise and all knowing that can lead us through this thing and. And uh, of course, when you start this, you know, trusting experts, and experts have a way of uh, morphing into uh, authorities that that uh, mandate things, it's it's a it's a very slippery slope. And uh, I think with you know, I go back to the the climate thing, where you know, ninety seven percent of all experts believe the world's on fire. Well, well, no, they don't. <laughs> But but uh, and and it's you know absolutely not true that that most uh, quote scientists believe there's uh, you know there's a climate emergency. But nevertheless, it's it's a question of who chooses the experts and and basically who chooses what gets published. And so there's there's a lot of distrust and you know there are major studies that suggest maybe masks are not effective, but they've become kind of a, a social icon of saying, well, it shows, you know, community you know, responsibility and I care about you. I'm wearing a, a mask and so on. And and I don't really object to that. I mean, I wear a mask. Uh, do I believe that necessarily that the efficacy is there? No, I don't. But yeah. nevertheless, we have certain conventions and certain courtesies and, and I go along with them. But there's a point at which you say, when is the, you know, when is the cure worse than the disease? And I think I think we're rapidly approaching that point. Well, just you've always we've talked many times about the boiled frog theory, and uh, I, I worry about this. You know, we've accepted seatbelts as a, as a, a social convention. Everybody must wear a seatbelt. Well, where's the government's role? I mean, in my opinion, I want to wear a seatbelt, but where's the government get off telling us we got to do it? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense because I, you know I should be in charge of my own health. Uh, my point is this. You talk about social convention. What if this just becomes a social convention? This is like the boiled frog. Well, there's some pretty dangerous um, other little creatures in, in the pond with the frog. And, and you know, for example, uh, look at the issue of, uh, of, of contact, you know, contact tracing. Mm-hmm. At a time when we got Siri listening in on everything we say, and, and she, of course she... We see Siri and, 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 and so on as, as being our helpful assistants that, that you know that, that don't you know don't criticize us when we when we don't follow their instructions. We 
turn left rather than turning right and so on. But, but, but these, you know, we, we've, we're wired together now. And I mentioned this in several of my books in a way that, that, you know, the, the, we are giving up our privacy. We're giving up control to, to the, these enormously powerful, rich organizations that control information and basically know all about us. And so COVID, you know, and you look at the, you know, the contact tracing, for example, and, and now, you know, we're hearing, you know, some, some states, I don't recall which one, are saying, well, if you see your neighbors having, you know, more than an allotted number of uh, guests for Thanksgiving, you know, uh, call, you know, call 911 or whatever, and law enforcement, at least the police that haven't, you know, that haven't left because of defunding, and, 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 you know, it's reporting on your neighbor. And this stuff is really getting scary because, as you say, it becomes part of the, part of the new norm. Yeah. And it's a time when we're particularly concerned about the Marxist socialist influence in the country uh, becoming dominant, and, and uh, it's a confusing time. It is a confusing time. I mean, I, I don't mean to condemn uh, the uh, people who are concerned about our health and we're making sure that we're a safe society and so forth, but again, I'm just, I'm just seeing so much creep into what I'm going to call our uh our personal rights and our, our liberty, and uh, I just it's a very concerning thing. And as you pointing out, this election and what happens in Georgia with the uh, Senate races, I mean, we're, we could actually fall right off into a socialist country so fast uh, with the, with the uh, levers of power all being with the Democrats. Well, it's terrifying, and, uh, and, and you know, I'm, and I think perhaps a lot of people share this concern is that Look at the emphasis. Look at the influence of the of again the, the social media and electronic media. Where I, I heard, a, you know, I, I can't quote this because I don't know the source, but a very large number of people didn't know that didn't know about uh, Project Warp Speed, where where there were viruses, you know, you know, there were there were vaccines that had, and and they went into the polling booth without knowing that mm-hmm. and thinking that that you know that Joe Biden was going to you know was going to cause crush the virus and you know they didn't know that or or the blocking of information about the hunter's laptop from hell you know the you know the the strange biden dealings in in russia and in ukraine and and afghanistan and china and so on and and so you know this the you know the the sources of uh of information we have that or or google and i i see this every day you know when i'm you know i'm looking at checking on information and I see all of the, I, I check on a fact and all of this stuff comes up as, as, as really very left-wing uh, leaning information. Mm-hmm. I have to really go to page five before, and Google before I find anything that, you know, that, that is information I really want that isn't being propagandized. And right. so, so we're going through a, we're going through a, a very uh, difficult time. And at the same time, we, I think there maybe is an awakening when we saw the you know the rallies and so on. People are interested in in what's going on in the country. At least a lot of people are, and yeah. and I see that as hopeful. I do too, Professor. And I just want to end on a very positive note. Irrespective of the politics that are going on, we're going to get through this as a country. We always have, and uh, thank God for our Constitution and for uh, our founding fathers. And it just brings us all back to Thanksgiving. I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show and your and your thoughts for our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, uh, thank you very much, and have a wonderful 
Thanksgiving with as many people as you can invite to your home. Thank you so much, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. I did, and I learned a lot. I hope you did. Uh, tomorrow we're going to have a little surprise. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to have a show. I think we will, but in, nevertheless, uh, you'll, you'll know tomorrow morning. Uh, we'll have great guests on Friday for sure, and I hope you'll tune in. Always appreciate your feedback on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. You can also request to be on my mailing list for the newsletter that I send out after each show. Again, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great Thanksgiving. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>